Welcome to part two of my conversation with Dan Ballard of Ballard, Simmons, and Campbell, LLP, on the topic of telemedicine. In part one, we discussed the basics, such as rules, definitions, and how the pandemic has changed telemedicine. We've covered a little bit about what happened pre-pandemic and during the pandemic, but what, what do you, where do you think a lot of these rules are going to go after the pandemic's over? I, I think that for the most part, Tony, it's going to stay largely the same in terms of uh, practical aspects and rules. With, with, Of course, there will be the changes back to the pre-pandemic rules. In other words, you're not going to be using FaceTime and, and some of these less formal, uh, un-HIPAA compliant, you know, not HIPAA compliant uh, modalities here. Uh, but in terms of the bigger picture on things, I think that the body of rules and regulations that we have in Texas for telemedicine, it's really pretty good and it works pretty well. And I think that, that we'll largely just revert back to that. At some point, perhaps there will be changes in terms of how Texas physicians you know, are allowed to interact with patients in other states, but that's going to take a while. Uh, and it's probably a maybe a, a separate discussion even. Dan, that actually helps me segue into my next question. So telemedicine has changed the face of medicine in regards to access, where before an individual may have been restricted by physical distance to see a physician, we have now seen with telemedicine that barrier is now being removed. So how has telemedicine impacted a physician's ability to treat patients at a greater distance? Yeah, Tony, I I sort of see two, uh, two topics there. One is within state of Texas uh, for a physician who's Texas licensed and is treating, you know, Texas-based patients or or, or at least patients who are coming to see the doctor in Texas. Uh, And then there's the across state lines issue. Let me take within Texas first. Uh, it's, It's really important for physicians to keep in mind this concept of that the standard of care is the same for a telemedicine visit as it is for an in-person visit. Because what I'm what I'm seeing as I interact with doctors on this is that they feel like, well, I'm treating a patient out in an underserved area. You know, I'm in Houston and this patient's way out in West Texas. And if I don't take care of them, then nobody's going to. So surely everybody's going to cut me some slack on that. It's like, no, no. <laughs> Legally speaking and regula- from a regulatory standpoint with the medical board, uh, they will not cut you any slack on that. If you can't meet the in-person standard of care, then refer that patient out to somebody else, have them see somebody more local to them, have them go to urgent care, have them come into the city, have them come to you, whatever solves that problem. But don't just think, oh, well, I'm being a good guy, so they're going to cut me some slack on standard of care, because uh, that's that's not how it works. Secondly, then, there's the across-state lines uh, issue. and very important for Texas physicians to realize that you may have read some of the national media on, on reciprocity. Oh, everybody's got reciprocity. If you could just kind of step across state lines, not true for Texas. Uh, you as a Texas licensed physician are not granted any privileges in any other state. We don't have reciprocity uh, with anyone. So if you're going to take care of a patient who's located in Chicago or San Francisco or wherever, then you need to be licensed in Chicago or San Francisco or wherever, uh, because those other states are going to feel like, hey, doctor, 
you're practicing medicine in our state without a license, and we don't like that. Uh, so be very careful about that. And uh, If you're thinking of setting up some type of national practice or whatever, uh, it's probably not going to work out for you as a Texas-based physician. You're going to step on other states' toes on that. Does the same apply for different countries? Like, let's say a patient flies into Houston to receive care and then flies back out, and you try to maintain that relationship. Is that the same thing? You know, it, it's a little bit different issue there um, from a practical standpoint. And in, in terms of, you know, I gave the example of somebody who's in, you know, Illinois or California, and the Illinois or California medical boards may have or will have a problem with practicing medicine on their citizenry uh, there. You know, whereas if somebody's off in, you know, Germany or Spain or Costa Rica or whatever, uh, it's from a practical standpoint, it's difficult for those other international governments to enforce anything against an American doctor. They may be unhappy about it uh, and may try to tell you to stop it, you know, but it's as a practical matter, it's, it's kind of hard to enforce. And, and I'm not saying go do something that somebody else thinks is illegal, but from a practical standpoint, you know, would it turn into a problem? I doubt it. Um, you know, but, you know, would it turn into a problem to treat someone in San Francisco? Yes, it would. Uh, that's going to become a problem for you. So it's a little bit different in terms of practicalities other state versus other nation. That kind of brings up another really interesting question, but we've talked a lot about what happens if the patient is kind of moving around, but what happens if the physician is moving around? So let's say a physician is out of the country um, and wants to maintain seeing their patients via telemedicine while they're on vacation or something. Uh, yeah, interesting, interesting question. And these days with travel, what it is and, our mobility, that could actually come up. And the, the point for a Texas licensed physician to remember is that they are regulated by the Texas Medical Board. And the Texas Medical Board is going to be okay with that physician having telemedicine encounters with Texas, uh, with Texans who are in Texas. Uh, so if the doctor is away in Canada, and has a telemedicine encounter with their patient who's in Austin or Houston or, or Dallas, that's going to be fine. Uh, the Texas Medical Board is going to say, you're a Texas physician, you can treat that Texas patient. And likewise, you, you know, uh, being in another state and interacting back here to Texas with a patient, that's fine. So uh, the, the key to remember here is that where the physician is practicing medicine is determined by where the patient is. Uh, so if the patient is in Texas, the physician is licensed in Texas, you're going to be good to go uh, on that. And if you're not licensed in Texas, Texas Medical Board is going to say, stay out of here. You just crossed our lines electronically uh, and trying to treat patients that way. And other states will say the same thing. Hey, Texas physician, don't be coming into Illinois electronically and treating our patients up here. We want to be able to regulate you, and you are practicing medicine without a license. Dan, what happens if a telemedicine video drops in part or in its entirety? Does the physician lose the ability to bill as a telemedicine visit, or who should they check with? Yeah, you know, I'm going to generally say don't bill for an incomplete visit. Uh, partly 
Well, mainly the patient has not gotten value, uh, the value that they sh would have gotten ordinarily in a completed visit. Perhaps you just didn't finish, and you may feel like, well, I took all my time here and whatnot. But uh, from a defense lawyer standpoint, where I'm looking out for the interest of doctors here, I'm going to say, don't get yourself in trouble uh, by, you know, making a patient unhappy in that way. But that, that patient doesn't want to be billed for that visit. Uh, so I'm going to generally say, don't do that. They may file a board complaint against you. They may have a legitimate complaint against you uh, on that if you truly didn't provide the service that everybody thought you were going to provide, and it got interrupted by a, you know, an internet outage or that kind of thing. And that kind of brings me to another interesting question that I sometimes feel that physicians are concerned about, and that is, what happens if a differential diagnosis starts to alter the treatment of the patient? What should a telemedicine doctor do if they feel the visit is something more than just, let's say, like a basic medication refill? or the flu, and it's actually something that maybe requires a trip to the ER or an urgent care facility. Sure. In, in that case, Tony, the, the physician needs to curtail that visit, cut it short, and, and get the patient to wherever is appropriate, you know, to get that care taken care of. You know, it could be, you know, easy example is you got a, your, you as physician are, are doing follow-up care you know, with a patient who you put on, you know, gastric reflux medication and, and you you have a little 30-day checkup visit with them to follow through and see how we doing on this and do we need to tune it up. And yeah, doc, you know, it, it's, it was doing okay for a while, and, but in the last couple of days here, wow, this pain in my abdomen, it's sort of going north uh, and into my chest and it's kind of worse when I get up and climb stairs and yeah, you can see where I'm going there. We got a problem here. And in a visit like that, that turns into something else uh, other than, than what it was, again, in terms of billing uh, aspects of it, I'm going to generally encourage you to not bill for something where a patient feels like I didn't get my value, I didn't get treated, we never got around to actually you know, tuning up my medications here because you told me I need to hang up and call 911. In that situation, it's good risk management to put yourself in the patient's shoes and say, would I be happy with paying this bill here where I didn't get done? I didn't, didn't turn into what I wanted to turn into. Uh, and that patient may be aggravated and, um, you know, and, and may make a board complaint. And even if you could defend yourself at it, defending yourself against a board complaint is highly unpleasant, uh, and it will it'll take a year off your life. So uh, I'll encourage you to avoid that any way you can and try, try to not go there with, with a patient. So uh, be careful about, you know, and, and let me just add a point here with your schedulers, especially if you're kind of scheduling of something where, hey, I really need to see the doctor very, very immediately uh, here. Be sure your schedulers are very well tuned into just how immediate do you think you need to be and why and is this truly urgent and should we re be waving them off and not even having the visit and sending them to emergency room or some more urgent type of care uh, that could be available to them. So it's very important to not sort of get into the trap of, well, just schedule it up and we'll take it up at that time. I think you bring a really valuable point up. So if there is an emergency and you're telling the patient to go seek uh, let's say, to call 911 or to go to the emergency room or urgent care, that information, what would be the best way of documenting that? 
Yeah, I mean, you would document it in, in more or less a routine fashion. That's how we ended up uh, this visit. Usually, you're going to end up your, your charting with, here's my assessment, my plan, my prescription, my advice, you know, whatever in my follow-up instructions. And it's going to be largely the same type of formula there. It's just going to have significant words in it that, you know, we terminated this, I told Nicole call 911, and to let me know what happened from it. So it would be that type of thing. Uh, but it does definitely need to get charted, even though we didn't get very far into this visit with this patient, we terminated it. You still need to have have clear recall and, and a clear record if, if it ever got brought up to the board or a lawsuit or whatever. So uh, charting would be the usual requirement there. So in your opinion, what are the areas of greatest liability for a physician who is using telemedicine? Yeah, that, that one I think is an easy question for me in that I see a lot of doctors being tempted by treating sort of newish problems that they would manage differently in person. Uh, just some some new, new problem comes up for the patient. It's not yet diagnosed. The patient may think they can diagnose it themselves. Uh, they may think they know what they have. But if you had that patient in your office, would you do things differently than you did on this telemedicine encounter? That's the key. That's the key. Because if something goes wrong here, and in my mind, it's just mainly a numbers game in terms of will anything ever go wrong? If you see enough patients, eventually you're going to have a delay in diagnosis or a misdiagnosis or you know some kind of things didn't go like I wanted them to uh, here. And if that one patient that finally comes up and you sort of draw the black bean, if it were a telemedicine encounter, you're going to get asked the question, would you have done things differently if you had your hands and eyes on that patient? And if the answer is yes, which very often it would be on a new problem that's being presented to you by the patient, if the answer is yes, then as defense lawyer, I may have a problem with defending you successfully. Uh, because that's what this is all about. The standard of care is the same for a telemedicine encounter as for an inpatient encounter. And if you can't do that, then don't do that. Uh, that's, the, that's the rule. Get them off to somebody who can put hands on and get them in to see you or whatever is necessary. Uh, but don't go down a road that you can't go down safely. Dan, is there any anything else that we should know about with how medications are handled for telemedicine? Is there? I, I know one of the things that a lot of people are using is e-prescribe. Um, is, there, is there any specific details anyone should know about with that? Actually, yeah, I'm glad you asked. Uh, there is a new rule that will take effect three months from, we're, we're recording this in October uh, 2020, in two and a half months now. A new rule is going to come into play on January 1, 2021, and here's the rule, is that if you're prescribing any controlled substance to your patient, you can only do that by e-prescribing. Any controlled substance has to be prescribed by e-prescribing starting on January 1. So that's, uh, if you're not set up for e-prescribing, you need to get ready in a big hurry here because it's coming right up on us. Dan, you talked a lot about some of the exclusions that are occurring right now during the, uh, the pandemic. Um, is there anything that's an exclusion towards the standard of care? Uh, no, uh, Tony, that's a great question and it's very important for everybody to remember that this same standard of care rule has no exceptions during the COVID crisis. Uh, so you can 
have a telephone encounter you know, that you might not have otherwise been allowed. You can have a FaceTime encounter that you might not have otherwise been allowed. Uh, you know, and that those are exceptions that are created for the COVID crisis. But the bottom line is the same as it's always been, that even during COVID, the same standard of care applies to a telemedicine encounter as applies to a pa that same patient sitting there in front of you in your uh, exam room. Same, stand same standard of care, no exception for COVID. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you are a policyholder, please feel free to contact us with any questions by calling 1-800-580-8658 or check out our resources at tmlt.org and clicking on our resource hub. <laughs>